Et bonjour! Ah, ah. Allô! Merry Christmas! <laughs> Joyeux Noël! <laughs> yeah, I immediately. cough right in their heads. I immediately blew out my voice being French. Oh. Uh, it's hard to be French. It is hard to be French. Uh, hello, welcome. Um, Merry Crimbus. Merry Crimbus and Hamby. Hamby Chrysler. Hamby Chrysler. Um, welcome to Infinite Cast. Um, a. Pod jest. A pod jest. Um, Part 16? 16? Something like that. Sweet uh, 16. We are continuing our drive through to the end of the year. I guess this will be the last one of 2020. 2020, yeah. Um, what a wild ride it's been. Yeah. We've made it fully through 10% of this this tome. Over over 10% now, solidly. Great. We're careening right toward uh toward page two, 200. 200, great. Um. Did we plug our appearance on I Hate Infinite Jest? I don't think we did. We did an appearance on I Hate Infinite Jest. Another pod jest. The, the, another pod jest dedicated to uh, fighting Infinite Jest. Uh, it, it was it was a very fun appearance. It was a strange appearance because we were the last, second to last episode before uh, Jesse, the host, finished the entire book. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he managed to not spoil things for Chris. And the weird thing about Infinite Jest is that you can talk about a 30-page section at, at the end of the pages book, later. and somehow it doesn't quite spoil anything. Like it's a, it, there's not. <laughs> what a weird, what a weird book. Imagine. <laughs> yes, imagine. So, uh, check that out if you've been enjoying this. There's a whole other podcast for you to enjoy, uh, with a more uh, antagonistic attitude, but a, a, a fascinating one. Yes. Yes. Shall we dive in? Should we, let's do it. Great. All right. Uh. This is a section entitled Mario and Condenza's first and only even remotely romantic experience thus far. Okay. In mid-October YDAU, Hal had invited Mario for a postprandial stroll, and they were strolling the ETA grounds between the West Courts and the Hillside's tree line, Hal with his gear bag. Mario could sense that Hal wanted to be able to go off by himself briefly, so he contrived, Mario did, to be very interested in some sort of leaf and twig ensemble off the path and let Hal sort of melt away down the path. The whole area running along the tree line and the thickets of like shrubbery and stickery bushes and heaven knew what all was covered with fallen leaves that were dry but had not quite yet all the way lost their color. The leaves were underfoot. Mario kind of tottered from tree to tree, pausing at each tree to rest. It was uh, 1900 hours, not yet true twilight, but the only thing left of the sunset was a snout just over Newton, and the places under long shadows were cold, and a certain kind of melancholy sadness was insinuating itself into the grounds' light. The staggered lamps by the pass hadn't yet come on yet, however. A lovely scent of illegally burned leaves wafting up from East Newton, mixed with the foodie smells from the ventilator turbines out of the back of the dining hall. Two gulls were in one place in the air over the dumpsters over by the rear parking lot. Leaves crackled underfoot. The sound of Mario walking in dry leaves was like, crackle, 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 stop. Crackle, 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 stop. <laughs> An Empire Waste Displacement Displacement Vehicle whistled past overhead, rising in the start of its arc, its one blue alert light a twinkle. He was around where the tree line bulged herniatically out toward the end of the West Quartz's fencing. 
From deeper inside the thickets on the lip of the hillside came a tremendous crackling and thrashing of underbrush and trailing willow branches. And who should heave into unexpected view but the USS Millicent Kent, a 16-year-old out of Montclair, New Jersey, number one singles on the girls' 16s A squad, and 200 kilos if she was a kilo. Uh, Southpaw, well, I don't know Wait, how much that weighs. Is, uh, is, have we converted to the metric system in Yes, the, we in have Onan? the metric system in Onan. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Ha! <laughs> uh... I'll have to check afterwards what 200 kilos equals. I think it's probably like, I don't know. Like high, like 175? Maybe? I don't know. Uh, single uh, Southpaw, one-hander off the backhand side. A serve Donnie Stott likes to clock with radar <laughs> and chart. Uh, Mario's filmed the USS Millicent Kent for staff analysis on several occasions. The USS, she's named like a ship? Well, that's what they're calling, that's her nickname. Okay, I Because she's a big girl. She's a big girl. Uh, they exchange hearty highs. One of only a couple female ETAs with visible veins in her forearms. Object of a fiercely wagered on bench press challenge against Shacked, Freer, and Petropolis Khan that M. Pemulus had organized last spring. Uh, this says... 200 kilograms is equal to 440 pounds, which what? seems... I mean, maybe she's a, a gigantic, giant. really good girl. Okay. Uh, in which she topped Khan and Freer, refused to show, and Shaq finally beat her, but doffed his cap. <laughs> <laughs> Out for a staff-ordered weight management post-dinner stroll, squeezing pen fives in both hands, in ETA sweatpants, and with an enormous violet bow either scotch-taped or glued to the blunt, rounded top of her hair. She told Mario she'd just seen the strangest thing farther back deeper in the thickets off the lip. Her hair was tall and rounded off in the shape of a kind of pill, not unlike a papal hat or, (laughs) or a British constable's tall hat. Mario said the bow looked terrific. And what a surprise to come face to face like this out here in the chill dusk. Bridget Boone had said the USS Millicent Kent's coiffure looked like a missile protruding from its silo in preparation for launch. (laughs) The last of the sun's snout was setting just over the tip of the USS Millicent's hair, which was almost osseously hard-looking, composed of dense woven nests of reticulate fibers like a dry loofah sponge, which she'd said over the summer a home perm had misfired and left her hair a system of reticulate nests and was only now loosening up to even attach a bow to. Mario said that, well, the bow set her off to a T, was all he had to say on the matter. (laughs) He hadn't literally said chill dusk. The USS MK said she'd been amusing herself beating her way through one of the brambly thickets Mrs. Incondenza had when she'd still spent time outdoors at all, planted to discourage part-time employees from shortcutting up the hillside to ETA, and had come upon a husky uh, husky six-brand telescoping tripod, new and dully silvery-looking, and set up on its three legs right in the middle of the thicket, for no visible reason and with no footprints or visible evidence of path beating anywhere around except the USS Millicent's own. The USS Millicent Kent stowed a tennis ball in each hip pocket and took Mario's claw and said here to walk this way and she'd show him real quick and get his, like, feedback on the issue (laughs) and plus have a witness when they got back and she told people about it. Mario said the Husky 6 came with its own pan head and cable release 
With the girl supporting him with one hand and beating an easement through the brush with the other, they proceeded deeper into the thicket on the lip. The outdoor light was now the same hue as USS MK's hair bow. She said she swore to God it was around here someplace. Mario said his late dad had used a somewhat less snazzy four-model husky back in his early days of making art films Mm. when he also used a homemade dolly and sandbags and halogen spots instead of Kliegs. Several different species and types of birds were twittering. (laughs) The USS Millicent Kent told Mario that off the record, she'd always felt he had the longest, luscious, prettiest lashes of any boy on two continents, three if you counted Australia, Mario thanked her kindly, calling her ma'am and trying to fake a southern accent. <laughs> the USS Millicent Kent said she wasn't sure what, her, what were her old footprints from finding the thicket with a tripod and what were their more recent footprints from trying to find the old footprints and that she was worried because it was starting to get dark and they might not be able to find it and then Mario wouldn't believe she'd seen something as batshit sounding as a gleaming silvery tripod all set up for no reason in the middle of Nowheresville. Mario said he was pretty sure that Australia was a continent walking he came up to around the bottom of uss millicent's ribcage uh mario heard crackling and thrashing from some other thicket nearby but was certain it wasn't hal since hal very rarely made a lot of motion noise either outside or in are people like weirdly gigantic in this in this uh mario's quite small mario's quite small but also millicent is quite quite large. large okay the USS Millicent Kent told Mario that though she was an admittedly great player... Because I know we have those giant babies. Those are much larger. Okay. Big, big, big. They're like the size of an house. elephant or something. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm just wondering about people's sizes. I know. No, it, 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 most of these humans are, are regular size, but okay. Mario's small and, and Millicent she's large. is large. Okay, great. Uh, she was an admittedly great player with an overwhelming haul ass up to the net and loom over it like a <laughs> Titan game in the Betty Stove slash Venus Williams power game tradition and headed for an almost limitless future in the show. She'd confide in him in private out here that she'd never really loved competitive tennis, that her real love and passion was modern interpretive dance, at which she admittedly had less unconsciously native gifts and talents to bring to bear, but which she loved and had spent just about all her off-court time as a little girl practicing in a leotard in front of a double-width mirror in her room at home in suburban Montclair, New Jersey. But that tennis was what she had limitless talent at and got emotional strokes and tuition waiver boarding school offers in, and that she'd been desperate to get into a boarding school. Mario asked if she could recall if the Husky 5 tripod had been the TL one with uh, waffle-gridded rubber tips on the legs and a 360-degree pan head, or the SL one with unwaffled tips and only a 180-degree pan head that swiveled in an arc instead of a full circle. (laughs) The USS Millicent revealed that she'd accepted a scholarship to ETA at age 9 for the sole reason of getting away from her father. She referred to her father as her old man, which you can just tell she capitalizes. Her mother had left home when the USS Millicent was only five, running off very abruptly with a man sent by what had then been called Con Edison to do a free home energy efficiency assessment. It had been six years since she'd laid an eyeball on her old man, but to the best of her recall, he was almost three meters tall and morbidly obese, which had been why every mirror and bathtub in the house had been double-width. 
One older sister, who'd been deeply involved in synchronized swimming, had gotten pregnant and married in high school soon after her mother's departure. All this time, there's been more crackling and crashing up the hillside. Mario has trouble on any kind of declined grade. Some sort of birds sitting in the top branch of a little tree and looking at them without saying anything. Mario thinks suddenly of a joke he remembers hearing Michael Pemulus tell. If two people get married in West Virginia and then pull up stakes and move to Massachusetts, and then if they decide they want to get a divorce, what's the biggest problem getting a divorce? The USS MK says her older, other older sister had, at just 15, joined the ice capades in all, of all things and was in the backup like chorus where the biggest artistic challenge was not bumping into people and either falling or making them fall. <laughs> the ice capades. Is that something that people still do, that still exists? Now? Yeah. Uh, I don't think in that form, but okay. you, there is like exhibition uh I guess that's ice dancing. All, like everything that just got subsumed into brands and and now the, the it's version like the, of that Disney is like on Disney ice. on ice. Yeah. Uh, bring back non-branded ice-based entertainment that's not non-athletic it? and competitive. Who will be the one? Uh, they should do they should do medieval times on ice. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. A cold, yeah. cold medieval times. Cold medieval times. Like a, like a winter version. But you know the only way that you could sell that is making it Disney's Frozen theme. Mm. Instead of just being like, we're going to do like, like the, the, the king of Norway cordially invites you to his winter palace for a, an icy display of physical prowess and cold food. <laughs> Ice cold food. O- I mean, oysters and yes. a, fr- a freezing pudding. <laughs> and, a, and a nice Nordic gazpacho. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a chowder gazpacho? Yes. Yeah, why, why can't things be cold without having to be frozen? <laughs> um. All right. Uh, getting a divorce from your sister. Because in West Virginia, Pamela said a lot of people who get married are brother and sister. <laughs> Hold my hand. He was only joking, though. By now, the light was about the same color as the ash and clinkers in the bottom of a Weber grill. The USS Millicent Kent was leading them in a set of slightly diminishing circles. Then, she said, at age eight, she came home early from after-school drills at the USTA Junior Facility in Passaic, New Jersey, looking forward to slipping into the old leotard and getting in some modern interpretive dancing up in her room, only to come home suddenly and find her father wearing her leotard, which, needless to say, didn't fit very well. And with the small front portion of his huge bare feet squeezed into a pair of strapless pumps, Mrs. Kent had left behind in her haste. In the dining room, he'd moved all the furniture over to the side of, in front of the really wide mirror, in a grossly, gr- grotesquely tiny and bulging violet leotard, capering, Mario says violet's really the USS Millicent's color. (laughs) She said that was the exact creepy word for it. Capering, pirouetting, and rondelling, simpering as well. The crotch of her leotard looked like a slingshot it was so deformed. He hadn't yet heard her come in. USS Millicent asked Mario if he'd ever seen a girl's yin-yang before. Obscene mottled hirsute flesh had pooched and spilled out over every centimeter of the leotard's perimeter, she recalled. She'd had a voluptuous figure even at eight, she told Mario, but the old man was in a whole different size ballpark altogether. Mario kept saying, golly, Ned, all he could think of to say. (laughs) His flesh jiggled and bounced as he capered. It was repellent, she said. 
There was no sign of a Husky 6 or any other model of tripod in any of the thickets and boscages. Her literal term for it was yin-yang. But her old man wasn't just a cross-dressing transvestite, she said. It turned out they always had to be a relative's female clothes. She said she always used to wonder why her sister's one-pieces and figure-skating skirts always looked so askewly baggy and elastic shot since the sisters didn't exactly wear tiny little malnourished sizes themselves. The old man didn't hear her come in, and he capered and jetted for several more minutes until she happened to catch his simpering eye in the mirror, she said. That's when she knew she had to get away, she said. And Mario's old own man's admissions lady had called out of the blue that very evening, she said. Like it had been fate, serendipity, kismet. Yin Yang, Mario offered, nodding. <laughs> <laughs> the USS Millicent's hand was large and hot and at the level of sogginess of a bath mat that's been used several oh. times in a row in quick succession. Christ. Her second oldest sister, many years later, had informed the USS MK that the first time anyone had had any inklings about the old man was an episode when the older sister was very small and Mrs. K had sewed her a special costume complete with gold lame bow and arrow for playing Cupid in the school Valentine's Day pageant. And the sister's sister's school had got out early one day after an asbestos scare and she'd come... (laughs) (laughs) We're getting reports there may be asbestos asbestos here. (laughs) And she'd come unexpectedly home and found the old man in the basement rumpus room in tiny wings and a hideously distended diaper striking a pose from a rather well-known Titian oil in the Mets high renaissance wing and had struggled with denial and own perceptions doubting for quite some time thereafter until a hysterical episode during rehearsals for an Ice Capades Valentine's Day number brought all the feelings surging up and broke the denial, and the Ice Capades Employee Assistance Office counseling staff helped her start to work it all through. (laughs) At which point, USS Millicent stopped them in an unprickly thicket of what later turned out to be poison sumac and turned with a strange glint in the one eye that wasn't in pine shadow and crushed Mario's large head to the area just below her breasts and said she needed to confess that Mario's eyelashes and vest with extendable police lock he used for staying upright in one place had for, had for quite some time now driven her right around the bend with sensual feeling. What per- Mario perceived as a sudden radical drop in the prevailing temperature was, in fact, the USS Millicent Kent's sexual stimulation sucking tremendous quantities of ambient energy out of the air surrounding them. <laughs> Mario's face was so squashed against the USS Millicent's thorax that he had to contort his mouth way out to the left to breathe. USS MK's hairbow became detached and fluttered down through Mario's sightline like a giant crazed violet moth. USS MK was trying to undo Mario's corduroys, but was frustrated by the complex system of snaps and fasteners at the bottom of his police lock's Velcro vest, which overlapped his trousers' own fasteners, and Mario tried to reconfigure his mouth somehow to both breathe and warn the USS MK that he was incredibly ticklish in the area of the belly button and directly below. (laughs) He could now start to hear his brother Hal somewhere to the above and east, calling Mario's name at a moderate volume. 
The USS Millicent Kent was saying there was no way Mario could be any more nervous than she was about what was happening between them. <laughs> it's true that the sounds of Mario sucking air out of a severely leftward contorted mouth could have been interpretable as the heavy breathing of sexual stimulation. It was when the USS Millicent wrapped one arm around his shoulder for leverage and forced her other hand up around the hem, under the hem of the tight vest, and then down inside the trousers and briefs, rooting for a penis, that Mario became so ticklish that he began to double up, clearing his face of USS Millicent's front and laughing out loud in such a distinctive, high-pitched way that Hal had no trouble beelining right upon them, compromised though his navigational systems were after 15 or so secret minutes alone in the fragrant pines. <laughs> Mario later said, it was just like when there was a word on the tip of your tongue that try as you might, you can't remember until the exact se second you stop trying and in it pops right into your head. It was when the three of them were walking together back up the hillside toward the tree line's lip, not trying to do anything but get back to ComAd by the most direct route in the dark, that they stumbled upon the cinematic tripod, a dully glinting TL waffle-tipped husky in the middle of what wasn't such a very tall or large, or a tall or thick thicket at all. Okay, <laughs> that's that. <laughs> let's keep going. Uh, let, let's, you want to stop? That's up there. That's, okay. a, that's a break. Okay, great. That's a solid 20 minutes. Okay, fine. Shorter, we can do a short one. Shorter segment. The last one was we went for an hour. Yes. Let's, let's just, hey, it's Christmas. Let's just do a, a, a quickie, <laughs> a fun one. The first thing that... Uh, came to mind was the just the description of walking through these hills reminds me that I've actually spent a decent amount of time in central Massachusetts. Really? Yeah. Because I went to a camp at Amherst. I oh, went there yeah. twice and then went back to ca cancel. Count, cancel. I went back to cancel it. <laughs> I went back to council Council. So I spent three, not like full summers, but three, three week stints in the middle of Massachusetts. And I feel, I feel like whenever you describe like walking around this area. You are not unfamiliar with the, with an academic uh, complex in, in Massachusetts. In central Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's funny. So I feel like I have, and I, and I kind of remember from, at least when I was back there counseling, like there was, there was some kind of talk that that was, uh, that, that those, those greater domains were, were haunts of the of the ramblings of 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 david foster wallace <laughs> that he lurked like oh, yeah. a, a cryptid through those through <laughs> those streets hunched in a, and presumably mumbling to himself yeah yeah um have i told my my amherst story on the pod yet no i don't know i looked at amherst uh when i was looking at colleges and went to an, uh, one of those dreaded information sessions mm -hmm. that you apparently must have to go to in order to uh both express your interest in a college and, you know, learn more about it. And I'll never forget the person who was running the information session made the joke. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we, we get a lot of questions in terms of academic performance about what might be better, uh, getting an A in easier classes or getting a B in more difficult classes. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the answer is getting an A in difficult classes. Oh, yeah, of course. And right. that's when I knew that Amherst was not for me. <laughs> it seemed like a fine enough uh, a school. It's a very good school. Yeah, and the uh, full of dorks. And the little uh, the little community around it was nice. They got a nice comic book store there. Sure, a decent pizza place. No, I, I like the Amherst is is part of the you know. There's a whole bunch of colleges is that in the, that is area. That a Seven Sister. Well, it's not Seven Sisters. Would be the all female. Oh, ones, the all female. But it's in like a consortium. Say consortium. Yes. Uh, anyway. Anyway. That was long ago. Uh. That was just the first thing I was thinking about. Um, 
this is a funny and, and traumatic little uh, um, scene here. I mean, it's funny because the the idea being that she's lying to him about seeing something fantastic in the thicket and she's really just using it as an excuse to, to uh, be alone. Yeah. But there is a tripod. There is a tripod. Similar to the model that uh, Mario's own father used to use. What's that about? Wait, I was, are we implied that she... Uh, she didn't see it at all, or that she that she saw it that she did see it. Yeah, right, right, right yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Um, yes, I also like her her description of the uh, her 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 background life. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's funny. We talked about Infinite Just as a book where you fight your dad, and again, the the daddy trauma. Yeah, uh, that this fatherly trauma that this family of girls who all seem quite large and yet are and, participating uh, in these like delicate uh, sports like ice skating yeah. and synchronized swimming. <laughs> I, I love this idea that like there's a, a preternatural talent for like grace and stuff, yes. but then like Millicent is just like a extremely powerful, like, yeah, large tennis player. Yeah, I like the the description of her 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 close up game. Uh, I mean. Listen, the the idea of seeing your dad wearing your uh your in, uh interpretive dance leotard that would be very traumatizing. It's very traumatizing. Not that there's anything wrong with. But that. I think that the the 90s attitude toward cross-dressing uh as completely yes. I I would hope at least amongst uh mm-hmm. people who've spent any amount of time online is that in the 90s the idea of cross-dressing or being a transvestite was h- horrifying and shocking. It's it is kind of amazing how quickly we've come for a lot of these, well, I guess it's been like you know, since he wrote it, like thirty years. But it is very funny just seeing like how traumatized the idea of cross dressing would be in like a '90s sitcom. Yeah, you know? and right. That, and also that all those things were completely conflated. Like in Friends, you're you're the friendsologist here. Mm-hmm. The, the deal with de- with Chandler's dad is that he is both a cross dresser and that makes him gay. It's a, well, that's the thing. It's so deeply confusing. In in Friends, Chandler's father leaves his mother, and then the the father. When you see him on screen, he's played by Kathleen Turner. And oh, so the idea, yeah. but it's never clear whether his father is cross-dressing or trans. Or has, and like, that is so fucking 90s. Yeah, is, is. Like, is conflating the two, not not treating the two as like mm-hmm. separate, you know, uh, things in gender and sexual presentation. And that's 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 the fucking nineties. They just didn't care. They yeah, and they just thought it was all weird. Too, it's like weird too strange because it is very much like, well, the phrase I want to bring back. Hey, man, it's it's now that we're solidly back in another decade. You can call the the ease, like the 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 <laughs> synonym of like, hey, man, it's the nineties. Is like, what was implied by that is that like we had reached like cultural enlightenment in some way, and like mm-hmm. every, that everything is permissible not in like a um decadent sense but just that we had like become to acceptance with like yeah ev- like everything yeah a uh, hey man it's the 90s we're good we're good yeah uh so it was like at the same time that he kind of like come out of i i like the the how best to how least inappropriately to say this gay turmoil of the 80s where it's like we're really there's like a, a real reckoning going on with with accepting this yeah and it's like okay it's the 90s it's kind of okay to be gay now but then at the other time there's so much gay panic and like everything going on in the yeah 90s. it's why it's like it felt like the second wave of uh, it yeah yeah like no watching like those friends episodes i think friends is a pretty good bellwether of like 90s Not yeah over, friends was over, what, what friends was it? always for normies yeah like normie culture and so what yeah the what their attitudes reflected i think normies yeah. uh 
And yeah, the, the idea of being gay or trans or even bisexual. There was a episode where Renata Ryder uh, came to town and she was a former uh, college uh, classmate of Rachel's and they had drunkenly kissed one night. And, and it was like a whole thing. whole thing. It's a whole thing. <laughs> We've been watching a lot of like erotic thrillers from the 90s. Or not even erotic thrillers, but just like anytime that somebody is portrayed as bisexual in, in these things, uh, it is... It is implied or outright stated that they are essentially a liar. They are a, a, a psychotic liar attempting to trick you. Which is yep. fu- it's funny to put like that on bisexuality specifically, rather than just like 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 the because I feel like the, it, it would feel even then that the more bigoted thing to do is being like, oh, a lesbian woman is essentially a woman who's like in denial with herself or something. And people people would know that's too far. But if you're bisexual, ah, uh, yes, you're got you got to be lying about one of them. You're 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 a scammer. You're a yeah, sexual. You're a scammer. sexual scammer. You're 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 tricking somebody here. Yeah, which is why I maintain that the only uh uh pre pre woke era uh, positive representation of bisexuality was Alex in the OC, who just wanted to have fun. She just have wanted to vibe. She was and just vibing, these- and she you know she was a working woman. She had a job. Uh, she had a, a a tattoo of a butterfly and a purple streak in her hair. She just wanted to like. And she all just these- wanted to make. And all these weird nerds from the prep school kept bringing their bullshit into be, her life. Be, bedeviled by uh, 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 rich, yeah, rich dorks with problems. Rich dorks with problems. Anyway, we 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 got here. We, we got to TV we bisexuality about, uh, tr- from trans, trans transvestite, yeah. which uh, David, I would beseech you to unpack unpack the idea of parental trauma of understanding that your parent has a secret life that involves you know sexuality that involves you you and your clothes which yeah. is definitely horrifying I mean, but separating that from the idea there. that uh, maybe that's okay for for parents to do in general uh just not not with their children's not with their children's violation. clothes yeah uh this will not be the last portrayal of uh it seems like all these kids have uh weird dads right yeah it's like a thing. How, do, do we get to know how like clued in or involved the incandenza children were with their dad's uh filmic career you you will start to hear more and more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, because one of those things was one of the at least one of his movies was described basically very clearly as a reinterpretation of an experience he had with his children. Yes. You know what I'm thinking. Hmm. This is something to ponder more. Is that you know in the same not to not to bring up the old uh, uh, Christmas standard Bird Box, but, <laughs> <laughs> but remember Bird Box is a Christmas movie. Bird Box is a Christmas movie, but remember Bird Box how they that crazy people were um, immune to seeing the Bird Box. The, the mon- yeah, the monsters. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh right, I forgot that the titular Bird Box actually has nothing to do with. What's well, like the warning system they have, right? Yeah. The, the, I don't birds even remember the, the birds like freak out when the monsters or are the birds become silent. Whatever. I forget what. Anyway, the that um there. that mentally ill people do not get um uh fucked up by seeing the monsters, but instead start proselytizing or whatever. Yeah. And so, is there someone who is immune to watching Infinite Jest? You would have to tell me because I need to know. I'm I for, honestly forget, and I'm I'm going to look out for that because you know, in the same way that a a virus might kill ninety nine percent of people, one percent are naturally immune. There might be some people who simply do not respond yeah. to the jest. It'd be interesting yeah. to know. I mean, we haven't heard for, about the jest in a, in a second, yeah. other than um, elliptically mentioned. And you by won't. The, uh, <laughs> really? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. 
Uh, I mean, they, they, he certainly laid that in pretty pretty quickly in that uh, attaché s- sequence. Uh, Listen, this, this, thousand this page book called Infinite Jest. You better hope that Jest at least shows up within the first hundred pages. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's the hook. Where's the Jest? <laughs> <laughs> Needs more Jest. Where's the Jest? All right, that's uh, all I got in terms. Yeah, of I don't think I need. We, well, this will be a shorter one. Yeah, the last ones have gone longer. The only other thing I want to talk about is how bad Wonder Woman was. Do you want to start another podcast uh, for that? No, I think that that will be the subject of tomorrow's Chapo. Uh, but um, just in terms of uh, you know our current state of infinite jest and, and how we are served entertainment and stuff, it was just a very particularly frustrating moment of, of waiting nine months to get a single new piece of movie media delivered to us. And kind of looking forward to something that's like even big, you know, big dumb spectacle and it just being so stupid barely adjust at all barely adjust infinite jest talk about talk about a infinitesimal jest (laughs) uh that it's like what are we even doing here we can't even make good movies anymore come on come on man i did i yeah get watching that cartridge on my tp i was not entertained no i I would not call that the entertainment no so then we watched Atomic Blonde again afterwards, and we were like, "Damn! Now this is the entertainment." This this is an a, an eighties movie about a, a kick ass woman trying to fix a uh, Cold War the shit. Cold War. <laughs> oh. All right, uh, we'll be back next week. Week. We'll back. We'll be back in twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. The year that we will get through what. Uh, 52 weeks uh we do like 10 pages a week so 500 ish pages of this book a good probably chunk. like more like 600 pages of this book yeah and then next year should take us three quarters of the way through damn hell yeah <laughs> and then after that we can read dune, dune. hell yeah all right bye bye, bye.